This is the Blatcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. It's around the corner now. Don't you love it? All right. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to a very festive and musical episode here of the Blattcast. As always, I'm Christian Blatt, and today I'm joined by uh, two people who you may or may not know, but you'll certainly remember their father. I'm chatting today with Dez and Jesse Money, who, as the name implies, are the children of Eddie Money. Uh, Dez, uh, nice to talk to you again, and Jesse, nice to meet you. Hi, how's hey it going? How you doing? Thanks so much for having us on the show. Well, and uh, we're here to talk about a, a song that you have out, uh, Everybody Loves Christmas, a song for dad that can be found pretty much everywhere, but including Des right on your YouTube channel. That's probably the the easiest, uh, you know, one click place for people to find it, right? Yep. And the song itself is a re-record of uh, your dad has a song called uh, had a song. Uh, Everybody loves Christmas, which it was a fairly, you know, in a big spot. It was in the second Santa Claus movie. And uh, I know he sang it with uh, Ronnie Spector. So talk a little bit about the decision to not just re-record the song, because I think you did something really interesting. It's sort of like that, you know, there's that uh, unforgettable with uh, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole, you know, sort of like blending the voices. Uh, and I think you guys did a great job of that. But talk about the decision of, hey, let's uh, let's take a crack at this. Well, after uh, my dad passed away, you know, Christmas was coming up. And so, you know, obviously everybody loves Christmas was on the radio and doesn't I kind of made the decision like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could, you know, have his vocals and redo that song. So Des produced the song and I wrote the lyrics to the verses. He originally wrote the lyrics about us and like buying toys for us and things like that. And um, so I was thinking about it and I haven't heard like a lot of Christmas songs that talk about loss and, you know, just losing somebody that isn't here anymore. So we decided to change up the lyrics and make it about like missing somebody on Christmas, but also um, remembering them in like an honorable way and just enjoying the Christmas spirit and not just to be sad, but also to be happy of the memories that you shared. Right. And I think that, uh, Des, you'd probably agree that uh, if if you're going to have a, a Christmas song that maybe reflects on something like that, it's going to help if it is upbeat and catchy and, you know, something that people are going to want to listen to. Because, you know, the, the song that I always think of, if I think of loss at Christmas time, is there's a song called Christmas Shoes, which is just such a sad song. And it's like, if it comes on, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to be bummed <laughs> out, you know. But yeah. this, it's like I'm going to sing along in my head, you know. Yeah, my dad was always about bringing the Christmas energy and, uh, you know, it was always a great time for us, uh, for the Money family every year. So we're happy to just be spreading the Christmas joy and uh, continuing tradition. So uh, let me ask you both. Was it, uh, it it's not just a song. He really did love Christmas. And uh, was it a big time there at the at the Money household? Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. He would dress up as Santa Claus, you know, and <laughs> wrap all the presents. And, you know, he. He and my mom, they really made it special for us every Christmas. So, I mean, when this time of year comes around, we really like to think of those those times. Well, and I, I mean, it's a time of the year, too, where I, I guess, you know, lots of other things, you know, things that kids have in their lives or other holidays. I'm sure that uh, there were plenty of years where, you know, he might have had to have been out on the road or working on something. But Christmas, it's like 
you know, for the most part, show business pretty much just shuts down. You know, the, the music industry, it's like at that there's like that first Monday after Thanksgiving. And then after that, nobody everybody's like, yeah, let's catch up in the new year. You know, so I'm sure it was great to actually have him around, you know. Yeah, that's true. Because like during the summer, you know, he'd always be touring. And then when Christmas came around, we really had that time to be together as a family and we took trips to like london and paris and did a lot of special things so um the holidays were always great for us yeah it's and look i think uh your your dad's song is great i really like this and you know i did i i did i hadn't listened to your dad's in a while so after i'd listened to yours a few times i listened and yeah i did notice that uh you rewrote it a little bit i mean it's obviously it's it's still the same song but uh it's nice that you put a personal touch lyrically and vocally um in obviously your song your dad's song those are great christmas songs as kids what were some that you just really liked you know christmas songs whether they were you know the, the classics or from the tv specials uh let me ask you first des what were like some of your favorite christmas songs as a kid uh, i really like uh, jingle bell rock you know that one's kind of kind of a classic <laughs> right there right and uh yeah, Jingle Bell Rock, I would say, and uh, Blue Christmas is another good one. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I know, I, I know, there's a few <laughs> versions of Blue Chris. I know there's a few versions of Blue Christmas, but I mean, it pretty much like you know, Elvis is really the the standard. Yeah, I think, for Blue Christmas, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Jesse? Rocking around the Christmas tree, rocking around the Christmas tree. <laughs> that was always fun to dance around the Christmas tree. And obviously every morning when all the kids are opening up their presents, they play all those classic uh, Christmas songs. So that's that's one of my favorites. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I, I don't know. I, I have I have two small kids. Uh, my son's seven. My daughter's five. So basically Christmas music, it's like the day after Halloween is basically like when all of a sudden, you know, the all Christmas station here in L.A. and Sirius XM has like five Christmas stations, you know, so it, it's pretty constant, but you start to realize it's like, I'm kind of hearing a lot of the same ones and I love a lot of these songs, but uh, you know, it'd be nice to kind of put things into, you know, into the rotation. You know, there's, I was thinking about, you know, uh, your, your version is great. Your dad's song was also great, but uh, there's that, that Slade song, Christmas, everybody, Billy Squire has that Christmas is a time to say, I love you. And I, I personally love father Christmas by the kinks. And I'm like, I, if I want to hear those songs, I have to hear them by myself. You know, it's like, uh, there's just so much, but it's almost like they have like a top 40 of Christmas music. It's like, you're going to hear three Mariah Carey songs. If you listen for an hour, you know? <laughs> yeah it seems like everybody's doing covers and, and and doing all the christmas songs so this one was really special for us because we get to um sing with our dad and chris lord algae helped us out and took the original vocal and you know des did all the music like drums and produced it so that was really fun too watching us do like the the jingle bells on the tambourine you know and all that stuff so it turned out really fun just uh, from a technical aspect, uh, was it was it uh, harder to do than you thought it was? Because, I mean, I, I guess th this song, I think it's from the late 90s. Right. So it's not like, you know, it, it, whereas like if he had recorded it in the 70s, it might have been really hard to isolate his vocal and do something with it. Right, Des? Yeah, with this one, actually, we weren't able to get the multi-track, but um, with, oh, okay. with the new technology and everything, you can actually separate the vocal from the song without having the multi-track and Chris helped us out with that. And so we were able to get his, um, you know, uh, isolated track from the original song and, and throw it into our song. Yeah. Made it happen. It was a lot of fun. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's great. And uh, I know that uh, both of you, uh, you know, you you spent years touring with your dad, and I know also uh, there was the Access TV show, Real Money. Um, but uh, I I'd assume at some point you sang the song live with your dad, or was uh, was this doing it in the studio the first time you were actually singing it with him? Yeah, this was the first time getting in the studio and singing it. Okay. Yeah, it would just be something he would play and like sing with us. It was never something that we did on stage together. Um, so this was really special for us. Yeah, no, no, I can I can imagine. And obviously growing up around music, I'm sure that it's just what your dad did and, and it was always probably just something you were there with. But was there a moment where maybe you know you saw your dad do something or you heard a different artist entirely where you were like, Hey, Dad, can I do this too? Uh, I'll, I'll ask both of you. I'll ask you first, uh, Jesse. Was there a moment where you were like, oh, I'd like to do what Dad does? Uh, well, I mean, we were just raised on on the road and, you know, how we saw him perform. I mean, I, I idolized him and always wanted to be on stage with him. And ever since I was a little girl, I would just run up on stage, you know, with my little like bells on my shoes. My mom said she had to like <laughs> hold my dress so that I didn't Want, you know, I didn't run on stage during his performance. So I think like I instinctively knew that I wanted to be a performer and a musician. But obviously my dad paved the way and taught us um, everything we know. Yeah. Was it uh, pretty much the same thing for you, Des? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've always been inspired by by my, my dad. And also Jess was always very outgoing and great singer and everything like that. So Jess kind of taught me how to sing as well. And uh, yeah, you know, we always just love doing music and everything like that. And uh, really happy to still be doing music with my family and, and keep it going, you know? So that's, that's all about. Yeah. No, it can always be interesting when, uh, you know, you're, you're, you have obviously a famous parent and then you follow in their footsteps. Uh, it might seem unrelated, but uh, I remember once uh, years and years ago, seeing an interview with the actress, uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, I think a lot of people might know who she was. She was on 20 on jump street, a bunch of other stuff, but her dad was the original Gordon on Sesame street. And she talked about getting a chance to be a guest star on Sesame street, but she, in her scene, Every time she would talk, she'd say, okay, daddy. And they're like, no, no, you have to call him Gordon. He doesn't have a daughter on this show. And she just couldn't get the hang of it. You know, so like years later, she obviously became an actress, so it's fine. But uh, it can just be funny because you just see it as normal, you know? So Jesse, you talking about running on stage as a little kid, it could it could have been at a moment where it's like, no, 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 this isn't a good time for, you know, this is, yeah, this exactly. is like, a, this is the encore, on. you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. People, and then later people on, are holding up their eight. lighters. Yeah, people are holding up their lighters for Take Me Home tonight. You know, come on, calm down a little bit. <laughs> there would be times where I'd be, he'd be singing Take Me Home tonight. And I would be, you know, just like rushing. I don't know, like I was always rushing. So it went from like running on stage when I was supposed to, to running to the stage when I was supposed to be on stage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, obviously, uh, this is a this is a great song for this time of year. And uh, Des, I think I talked to you about a year and a half ago. So I kind of wanted to check in and see how everything's going and maybe what some of your plans are for 2023. Yeah, I'm getting ready to release some new music and hopefully get like a new song every month or so and get back going with it. And Jess is also working on some new music. So got a lot of new music from the Money Family coming out next year. So we're really excited about that. Oh, that's great. And uh, and is a, a big part of that uh, hopefully getting out and playing it live or are you just uh, working on putting out the music? The same question for both of you. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. We'd love to get back out there and start playing live shows again. Uh, we've been working at it again. So, yeah. you know, hopefully early next year we get back out there and make it happen. Get to see everybody again, play some shows. And yeah, can't yeah. wait. Yeah, I've been working on my album and it'd be great to get out there and do some live shows. I had um, some small shows booked to just do you know, um, some cover songs and do some of my dad's songs. So I'm working on the album and I hope to like, you know, put the, put that together so we can have, you know, just do the legacy of my dad's music and then also our music. So we're putting that together. It's, it's coming along, but once we get the music out, the, the wheels are going to start turning for sure. Well, yeah, that sounds great. And I mean, you know, I mean, I would say that if we'd had this conversation a, a year ago, you know, live music was still a little bit more hit and miss. And, you know, even now you'll still have bands who have to cancel a couple shows or, you know, tours get postponed. But we're finally in a spot after a couple of years of, uh, you know, people like you'd legitimately say like, hey, remember going to concerts? And it would be so long ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it seems like we're in a good spot and, you know, a lot of a lot of great bands out on tour and just big shows you know and i think that's uh it, it, i think people were so hungry for live music that it's been a great year for really for for big tours but also just you know small shows because uh you know sometimes those big tours uh cost a little bit more than than you yeah, remember yeah. <laughs> you know it's like uh it's like yeah i'd, I'd love to sit on the on the lower level but not for four thousand dollars and i won't name any names but uh well to keep to keep tabs on uh both of you uh i have the the social media for you des it's des money music and Jesse, I like yours. It's who's Jesse Money, right? That's that's the correct one for you. <laughs> trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Soul searching. <laughs> you just try to figure it out. And of course, uh, for for your dad, it's always eddymoney.com. And uh, so the like I said in the intro, uh, the the song it's the out there on YouTube, and I'm sure people can find it, you know, all the way they find music, all the, the music apps. And uh, hopefully a couple of the Christmas stations work it in and in some of the rotation, you know, it's uh, the, really this is the week where uh, you hear a lot more Christmas music, even on the stations that aren't doing that format. And uh, it's a great song for people to hear. And as I told you before we started, uh, our audio audience is going to hear it momentarily uh, when we wrap things up here. But uh, for our YouTube audience watching live or after the fact, uh, going to Dez's YouTube channel is probably the easiest way to find it. Um, well, I love that you both took the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. And it was great to get the chance to hear the song. And uh, I'm sure it, uh, it it would it would make your dad proud to have been able to hear it. But uh, it must have just been a lot of fun for the two of you to actually you know get in the studio and uh, record with his voice. So uh, I'm sure it was great for you, and it's a it's a fun song for everybody to listen to. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, again, for our audio audience, uh, give a listen uh, right now. Everybody loves Christmas.
Very excited to be joined by not one, not two, but three members of Desert Dragon who, uh, first and foremost, very important, uh, their website is Desert Dragon Official. Uh, they've got a great new album out, and there's two songs they've released that we'll talk about, Lock and Load and Swamp Thing. But uh, for our visual audience, our StreamYard audience, our YouTube audience, we'll go clockwise and we'll let uh, these gentlemen introduce themselves. Uh, why don't you go first, Greg? Uh, hi, I'm Greg Patnode. I've uh, been with uh, Des Dragon, like uh, kind of formed it in about what 2011 or so, and uh, a few changes along the way. But um, we got our newest album, uh, Side of Heaven, and uh, probably the, the best one yet, I would say. And um, Mike, you want to take it from there? Sure. My name is Michael Smith. Um, I'm in Desert Dragon. I started about five and a half years ago. And uh, I'm a keyboardist, and in the context of the last album, I did a lot of the writing and co-producing. Keith? Ah, you unmuted me. Awesome. I was afraid there for a minute. <laughs> no, yeah. there, I, I don't. I, I, there might have been like a truck driving by. I wasn't really sure what it was, but uh, the, yeah, the, okay. Uh, the, the micro, the microchip in your brain was sending out a signal that we didn't want. <laughs> so we wanted to make sure we were quiet. That you time. got me back on that one, Christian. Uh, good to see you, man. Yeah, KSJ, Elias, Keith, St. John, and uh, you know we're here to introduce this Desert Dragon record and talk about it and. Uh, Hope everybody loves it. And, uh, you know, I, you guys might know a little bit about me from some past bands if we talk about that. But uh, mostly we're here to talk about Desert Dragon today. Yeah, no, no, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, but uh, so the band Desert Dragon, uh, anybody who's heard the band, even if they're just hearing one of the new songs for our podcast audience, you heard some on the way in, you'll hear some on the way out. Uh, I think that the, they'll hear kind of a mix definitely there's a classic rock feel uh, a little bit of country blues rock and you know in the notes for the band they even mentioned that there is a hint of progressive which uh, i hear in there you know it's not it's not full-blown yes or marillion or anything like that but uh, greg as the the one who founded the band and uh, or, or of these of the three of you here and the one who's got the longest tenure talk about how those sounds kind of came together and what some of your personal influences were that led to that well i i like mixing it up a little bit not having everything sound too similar um you know you were saying the progressive side i mean i uh i like uh yes and rush and all that stuff it, it it's definitely in my in my blood and uh the more hard rock stuff uh van halen black sabbath aerosmith um love love that stuff of course led zeppelin um pink floyd uh you know, trying to get, get, you know, think because most people, I would say most people in the rock genre love those bands. So I go, well, let's, let's have a new type of music that kind of um, puts a little bit, all of it in, into the, uh, into the songs. And uh, that's what I, my thought was when I first put this thing together and uh, I think it turned out okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's uh, there There was a moment in time where, you know, if somebody liked rock and they wanted to listen, you know, when radio stations were, weren't programmed by a machine somewhere and, you know, like a corporate office somewhere. And it was like, yeah, you know, now it's it's everything is divided so narrow. There's like all this niche like 
I like hard rock. I'm going to listen to this channel on satellite radio. I'm going to listen to this playlist. Right. And I'm only going to really hear that. But you know, they're like, you go back 30 years. It was, it wasn't entirely unnatural. Yes. You were going to hear classic rock artists. You were going to hear your Aerosmith. Then you might hear Def Leppard. You would hear Metallica when they broke big. And then it was also like, yeah, but let's not, let's not forget about like Skid Row. Let's not forget about those bands. And yeah. yeah, I mean, growing up, just listening to what was essentially a classic rock station where I grew up in New York state, but all the bands you're talking about, I would hear Marillion. The only reason I know them is that they would play them occasionally, very rarely, yeah. uh, but you know, you'd hear yes. And I think people in general aren't like, I only like progressive rock. I only like classic rock. And I think that we've gotten to a place where it's probably subconscious where you just kind of select that sort of familiarity. And I think it's great that there's uh, definitely a, sort of a mixture in there. Michael, what uh, were some of uh, some of, you know, just coming up, you know, start when you started becoming a musician, what were some of the biggest influences on you? I can go in order from being a, a early teen and discovering Chicago first off. And then from there, it was prog rock, actually. I went. Um, and we're talking like 25 or 64 Chicago, not Peter Cetera Chicago. Uh, well, yeah. No, we're talking yeah. the first three albums. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I kind of started with. And I started arranging horns uh, and working with the jazz band at high school. And then I got into Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And that kind of took me, took the jazz thing kind of further for me. And from there, I ended up getting into arranging and composing and film composition and all that kind of stuff. So I, I approach all of this more of a player's, uh, a writer's point of view. That's kind of what I've always been. Um, composer, writer, that kind of thing. I never sat there and practiced every day to, to become a great player. I was there to be a great writer. So that was, I, uh, uh, again, I, list, I grew up on all the same stuff that these guys did maybe a little more emphasis on the jazz and pop music and even Broadway and film music. So just a whole bunch of stuff, a, a great variety. And I love all of it. You know, I can put Johnny Winter and Rory Gallagher and then put them on and dig them and then listen to some really quiet jazz vocalist. It's all the same music to me. I love all of it. So. Right. No, exactly. And, and like I was saying, I feel like uh, most people like a, like a little bit of everything. Uh, what yes. about you, Keith? What were some of your, uh, your big influences? Me? Uh, yeah, I'm probably a different kind of cat. Cause I, uh, I grew up around New York and um, you know, I, my parents weren't nerds, but they were pretty close, you know, they were in the box <laughs> and, uh, but I went to a lot of Broadway plays mm -hmm. and opera and all that kind of stuff growing up. So um you know, my early influences were more like Tchaikovsky and Rimsky-Korsakoff and Stravinsky and all that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's too long of a subject matter, but I'm, I'm more into the romantic period probably than anything else. And the same thing with rock, if uh, if you kind of identify with what that is. It's, you know, before everything goes 20th century and we, and we try to go off and break all the rules, it's kind of the last place where everything is, uh, is, is still... Uh, Sounds sounds pretty favorable to the ear, but it, you know it hasn't gone atonal yet. But it's it's complicated. So anyway, um, the first sort of rock records I got was uh, my aunt. I think gave me a few records, and the the first one was the Red and the Blue Beatles collection. 
So those were the two, those like 1962 to whatever, and then 60 right. to 70. And, uh, you know, that was the first stuff I started listening to in that format, you know, bass, drums, guitar, and vocal. And uh, that was a pretty complete set of sort of the uh, the basic rules of what goes on in, in music composing, I think, for rock and roll and, and pop. And George Martin had a huge classical influence. And, of course, he was really present in the Beatles stuff. So... I mean, I think uh, between that and, uh, you know, all the kind of, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein tunes and stuff I was hearing as a kid, you know, my mind got pretty opened up to a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe deep music. And some of the early Beatles was just simple and, and, and catchy as well. So uh, and then uh, it just grew from there. I discovered, yes, you know, pretty young and Zeppelin and all that stuff. And uh, and I was composing music from a pretty young age. I you know I just found my parents' old dusty piano and just started finding notes in my head and doing all that. Kind of kind of like Michael. Michael was you know primarily uh, doing the same thing growing up. Yeah. You know more writing than um, than than listening, I guess. And I was kind of doing that too. Uh, and uh, you know, my first instrument were were drums. And uh, back east, we, we had basements uh, on the east coast of the U.S. So, you know, my parents threw me down there in the basement. And I mostly had guys come over and we played when, when they weren't at home. And by and large, when you're a kid, um, you know, the kids you're going to meet in school, you know, I was lucky enough to meet a couple of kids who were pretty accomplished, pretty young at their instruments. So, you know, that rubbed off on me, too, just the sort of not competition, but the sort of um, camaraderie and uh, the, the struggle to to get better with guys that were in the same mindset, you know. But we were we were definitely a little bit nerds too then in a way, you know. We didn't look like nerds because, you know, <laughs> we looked scruffy and our hair started getting long. But we, we definitely, um, you know, were organized and like, you know, picking out pieces from albums and showing each other and going, hey, let, let's try doing something like this. And, you know, so... That's me. I was just kind of a, a hairbrained, you know, kind of guy writing tunes in the basement, you know, for yeah. a while. And I no, still, I, mean, I, <laughs> I think there's a, a lot to be said about being, you know, music nerds, which isn't necessarily like the, you know, the visual people think of, like the Revenge of the Nerds with the big thick glasses. But uh, I think a lot of people, you know, I talk about this on the show all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, growing up, I was a nerd for comic books and like star wars the same way it was for my music i needed to have every band's albums and of course the the you know my my cds were all alphabetized and you had the <laughs> albums in order and if i was missing one i was like i gotta save the money to get that one you know and you would just uh you know the way that you would sort of it was almost like you know trading baseball cards or comic books or something it's like yeah but have you heard this one you know <laughs> and uh i think uh you know when you soak it all up like that you know the interesting thing you said keith was sort of having a background in broadway and yeah. you know i i mean i'm from the east coast too and i you just whether or not you would you know, right now think like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, go put on the, the soundtrack to South Pacific. All right. You're probably not going to do that. But if you were to like, look lyrically and think about those songs, mm -hmm. you know, they tell a story at really economically and incredibly catchy. You know, when I put this together to talk to the three of you, I didn't think I was going to mention, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair from South Pacific, <laughs> but I am right now. And boy, you get how she feels from that song. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, you're not going to write a song like that. 
but what you might pull from whether it's that or god jesus christ superstar you know oh my god you know and i mean well it's really funny you mentioned south pacific because my mom was just sort of accidentally singing a song uh you know i was talking to her last night and i was like what what is that from? And I, I guess it was one of sort of the B sides from South Pacific. And she goes, South Pacific. I go, why did why don't I remember that? I played in pit orchestras, you know, doing yeah. that show, you know, a hundred mm-hmm. times. So I don't, you know, I don't know what uh, how I how I missed that one. It's just funny that you brought that show up specifically. And and Superstar was one of my favorites of all time for sure. And um, you know, obviously Jimmy Page and 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 Sticks and a whole bunch of other people, you know, you know tip the hat a little bit to the music in that uh on that soundtrack and stuff and you know yeah i mean there's a lot of influence there when you're around that as a very very young kid you've got this somewhere in your brain is all are all these melodies and concoctions back there and um you know i think for me that's what kind of maybe gives gives me the freedom to uh to write a lot on the spot you know uh, which is kind of kind of my hobby which is what I like to do you know so Michael uh, you were saying that you know a lot of your background is in jazz and Greg it seemed sure. like it was a little bit more of a buffet table of music a little bit of everything and yeah. I think that uh even though you know Keith is the newest member of the band I think it really lends to the sound that you know one has been developed by uh, the band previously and uh, I think it uh it, you know it obviously works really well together so uh let me ask uh, Greg and Michael, how does uh, Keith first come on your radar? Uh, you know, he mentioned in passing when we were going around doing our intros, uh, some of the bands that uh, he had worked with before a uh, long time uh, with Montrose. And then I also saw uh, Quiet Riot, uh, Lynch Mob, Sweet and Nazareth, speaking of Jesus. Uh, so uh, obviously it's a, a, and you know, it's obviously it's a, it, it's a very specific voice you need for uh you know some of that kind of music so how does keith get on your radar i'll ask you first greg uh well it was uh, kind of a weird uh set of coincidences basically i i was over at the store and i had this girl that was in front of me and she was wearing a uh david gilmore shirt from the concert and uh basically uh she goes why well, I, I i knew this person that was uh, uh, a singer and stuff. And uh, so over at a place that we all kind of hang, Canyon Club, I met Keith. And then uh, like, I don't know, three months later, we're, our singer uh, moved, uh, moved away. And basically we go, okay, well, we need another singer. And, uh, and Rick, our bass player, says, well, I know um, this guy, uh, Keith St. John. And I go, why does that look, sound familiar? And I had met him at a, I think it was a lynch mob concert. And so called him up and we sent him the stuff, see what he thought about it, you know, see what he, if he liked it or not. And he seemed to like it. And then it kind of just built, a, built upon there. Yeah. I know it's funny you mentioned the, the Canyon club because you know, there's several of them now, but uh, for people not in Los Angeles uh, it's uh, it, 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 I, I don't want to give the impression that it's like deep in the mountains, but you kind of come down from the mountains or, you know, you come from the Valley and uh, they, you know, it's a great mix. Like one, one night, maybe you'll see, you know, an eighties, nineties uh, hard rock band. Like I've seen Tesla there a couple of times and then it's like, and then it's uh, Peter Noon and Herman's hermits, you know, mm-hmm. and it's uh and comedians play there even, you know, it's a, and it's a, it's a cool little venue that, uh, 
uh, I think it Great. would make sense that, uh, you know, you guys just sort of cross paths there. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Keith, what are your thoughts when you get approached? Uh, obviously you'd known Greg before and probably been aware of his band. And, uh, what were your first thoughts when you were asked, uh, Hey, what do you think about, uh, taking on this role in desert dragon? Well, you know, uh, okay. Two things. First of all, Lance is saying, thank you in the ether for his plug for Canyon clubs. And, um, my, also my thing with quiet riot, just, to uh, make it clear was really short. So, I mean, I don't, I don't usually say that, you know, that much about my, you know, that whole thing and me actually being well, a band. Somebody, then somebody should know, take we, it out of your bio, but we, we uh, went, I, I know no, you were we with Montrose. Out. You were with Montrose for a really long time though. Yeah. Yeah. We went out and we, we played, we played some shows together sometimes, but I was, you know, it was clear. I was just at the time we were on different wavelengths. I mean, those guys are my buddies and, and Frankie was a, was a really dear friend and, um, sure. You know, miss frankie forever but uh you know um we i always agreed that we were just or, and he did too that i was just going to sub in when they needed a guy you know when they were in between singers a few times so um i and and they and they've been between singers quite a few times and uh, yeah it has been it has been <laughs> but um anyway um i for me it was all about the music and it and it always is and uh, maybe that goes back to like i said being a you know sort of a quasi music nerd it's like you know, I, I just kind of want to hear the stuff and then uh, make my mind up about that more than anything else, more than, you know, checking out a bio or, you know, Googling it and seeing what comes up, you know, what they've done and listening to the older material or whatnot. So, um, yeah. So he sent me some stuff and I, I thought it had a lot of really good potential and I liked all uh, you know, I liked what they had combined so far between mostly Greg and Michael's influence. Um, there's some, you know, Michael's a little bit, you know, maybe he, he says he's a prog guy, but, you know, he also does a lot of maybe, um, well, like I said, sort of like that romantic period, classical, you know, romantic period, Beatles-esque kind of stuff, which I dig. And, um, and then Greg comes up with these like total left turns that you don't expect, which is why we, you know, label it with a little influence prog. Uh, Michael, uh, yeah. when it comes to obviously that intrigues uh, me, really. it. it's like you hearing, hearing these sections of songs that, you know, I've never really heard anybody else try to put these two kind of sections together of a song. This could be really cool. And, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, I got to say, you know, there were some refreshing uh, riffs that they put in there mm -hmm. kind of reminded me of like old free or like, uh, you know, uh, and then, and then maybe old deep purple, early deep purple. And this is the time period that I kind of really dug in rock and roll, you know, that, that late sixties, early seventies stuff that I've never really got the opportunity to sing to that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in let's say the two thousands, you know, once I've, grown up and kind of been in more of these sort of metal or hard rock metal bands. You know, I haven't yeah. really got the opportunity to, to sing a lot of that kind of stuff. So I was like, man, this could be a, a real breath of fresh air. And I guess that's how it started for me. Michael, obviously, you know, I'm sure you've worked with a number of singers throughout your career. What mm -hmm. do you uh, look for? What do you think is, uh, you know, if, if you have to, 
it doesn't even have to be the single most important, but what are amongst the most important things if you're going to work with a singer? And uh, feel free to highlight what you don't want from a lead singer. If, if something comes <laughs> a to lead mind singer. Well, the one thing that's most important as a composer is that the lead singer sings it exactly how you want. With Keith, he does it exactly how he wants, and that's what gives it kind of the Desert Dragon signature at this point, is that he's doing where he thinks the melodies and lyrics should take the song. So Greg and I lay a foundation together through his Greg's ideas and my ideas, and Keith takes what we do and takes it into a direction that where he sees it going. So now we've added, so he's not like a regular singer where I said, hey, do it exactly like I wanted it. Keith is taking what we did and then reinterpreting it into his idea, which is going to be a little different than what we did. And so now we've gone to a very different place where we may not have been originally. And that's what gives it something unique and different that I like. Is well, that it seems to me like it takes, yeah, it takes it somewhere that you weren't expecting it. It's exactly. Not like, it's not like sing it the way that I wrote it. It's right. more like, oh, wow, I like that you didn't sing it the way that I yeah, wrote it. Yeah, exactly. Is that my ideas are great. Keith's ideas may be a little more universal that he hits in because he's the lead singer. He's in front of a band. He's fronting a band every day of the week. He knows what people in the front row want to see, want to hear, and how to address that. And I think that comes off in his studio work as well. So that's he's a really unique person in that in that in that way. That makes sense. This, Keith, this is not the way they were talking about you before you popped on. Somebody has to tell you. They're putting yeah, on the hat. Just to clarify, I focus in the back row. I focus on the people most. Well, you want to make sure flowers. that they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Greg, you know, you talked a little bit about you know bringing the idea to Keith about joining the band. Uh, so since you've had him with the band, I mean, do you agree with Michael that it, it just sort of went in directions that you weren't expecting, but you know, obviously in a good way? Well, um, compared to our last singer, which he was a great singer too, but. Um, he had more stuff that he could do with his voice, I thought, and that more fit the form I, I felt like for Desert Dragon and uh, give it a bigger sound and um, a lot more bluesy sound, which I really dig. Um, gives the, the whole emotion, you know, a different level to me when, you know, when people can sing like that and... Uh, it's just, it's, uh, was like, uh, icing on the cake, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's, uh, talk about, there's, uh, two songs that are out and the album is available now. Uh, it's called this side of heaven and uh, I it says a- it's, it's available on all digital and retail platforms, which it's, uh, yeah, which is it. a great way to, to say that it's, uh, it's available, you know, where you can pluck it out of the sky, or if you want to hold it the way that Greg just did for a visual audience. Uh, I, uh, whether, uh, whether somebody is, is on the vinyl kick or they still buy CDs, I do always like to be able to kind of flip through and, you know, well, you know, who produced track six, you know, and who, who's, who's the guest saxophone on, you know what I mean? I, I'm always interested in that stuff that yeah. goes back to being a music nerd. Right. And uh, I guess digitally they'll give you the, the booklet sometimes, but it's, it's never really the same. So it's like, while if I can flip through it while I'm listening, but uh, yeah, so the, so 
we've got the the album available and uh there's there's two songs out now just literally just before we started uh jody the publicist sent me swamp thing so i had a chance to hear it uh one complete time all the way through but uh i had uh, been uh, listening to uh the the earlier song uh over the course of uh the last couple of days lock and load uh so t- let's talk we can talk about the album as a whole but uh let's uh, start off with uh what those songs mean to really uh both of you and uh it looks like everybody might be frozen or you might just be sitting very still we're gonna see how this goes well greg just moved michael just moved but i'm pretty sure keith's actually frozen he's no, a, I'm frozen <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I'll, I'll ask you first, Michael, uh, let's start with swamp thing. Uh, and, uh, I, I assume, uh, well, you know what? I won't assume anything, Michael, let's talk about uh, your thoughts on swamp thing. Uh, it's a fun song. It's meant to be a little silly. And that's the whole point. Greg had come up with this really great swampy guitar thing and he had named it. That was the name of the track swamp thing. And we, he had some lyrical ideas and they were dark and silly and we took it in the silly direction. And then we built a track up. We had a demo and then Keith took it and he made it. He took it from being um, our, our original version. I would say would be more like two guys in Louisiana sitting on their back porch with chewing tobacco and talking about <laughs> making little tales up. Keith took it and took it a little more towards New York City and King Kong, that movie. He took it and it was a much more visual and more dynamic. That's my, that's how I would characterize it. That's a good way. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great way of, uh, of, of selling the song to uh, very different markets right yes, now. Yes, you know, exactly. A, it's like back porch and uh, big city streets. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Swamp Thing, Keith? Uh, yeah, I love it, man. I love uh, Greg's riff that he that he came up with, man. That opens up that tune. I hadn't heard quite that riff. It really reminds me of like an old Leslie West kind of style of riff, you know. And um, which you know, I grew up in New York, and I thought Leslie was always from like Memphis or something. Like growing up, I didn't realize he was in Queens, you know, right next door. But you know, he was he was a master of that blues rock guitar. And Greg really hit a cool riff on that one. Um, with a tiny bit of progressiveness, maybe, but a la Led Zeppelin, where it just throws you a little bit, but then you're like, oh, cool. So, you know, I I already knew that this was going to be a campy song. And I thought, well, let's put a bunch of stuff in the beginning. So we got, you know, a little jaw harp and some crickets and some, we really like took it to Green Acres, you know. Uh, And, um, but then the chorus now, we, we made the chorus a lot heavier. So the chorus is kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to like compartmentalize, you know, what a song, you know, somebody else is going to think something different, but it may be if you could make a heavy metal version of Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult, you know, it has that vibe to it. The chorus comes up and you just, you start dancing, you know, it's got hand claps and it's big and, you know, um, you know, by the way, I would I would be all for a heavy metal version of Godzilla. Of Godzilla, if, yeah. Well, if the, guy, if the guys in Megadeth want to do a B side, you know, something like great. that, uh, a bonus I'd, track, man, we can yeah. still record one and fit it in there before the everything comes out. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, we went through, you know, and that's the one song that has some special effects, background stuff. You know, the Doors did that. 
Uh-huh. You know, in Riders on the Storm, there's, you know, yeah. they've got some rain and lightning and all that stuff. Thunder, so, yeah. you know, we brought a little of that into Swamp Thing as well. And um, we're working on a video for this one. So, you know, we wanted to have all that kind of, like Michael said, you know, sort of that old King Kong meets Godzilla, kind of like the, the funny, you know, frightened crowd and all that stuff. Right. You know? That was. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when that when that rolls out. So look for that. Yeah, well, I mean, those kind of sounds can obviously really, you know, heighten, uh, you know, just sort of the listening experience. I mean, you mentioned Riders on the Storm, and immediately I thought of another door song. Like, imagine LA Woman without the car driving in the beginning. Oh, right. You know, if, it, if it didn't have that, you know, it's such a completely different feel. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, Swamp Thing uh, definitely definitely does that. And uh, and then so Lock and Load's been out there for a little while. I believe you have a lyric video for that which is, uh, you know, just so that people can find it. And I, and I assume desert dragon mm-hmm. That's where people can find yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, talk a little bit, Craig, uh, about lock and load. Lock and load. That's kind of like one of my babies. I just, uh, um, needed something that had a really good driving force to it. And, um, and it has kind of a long intro to it, um, which kind of sets up for the main, part of the part of the verse um but i like that long intro there was a, um i think it was called long time by boston has this huge intro and it's like i'd never heard that before someone do that long of an intro but it really kind of made it set up for the rest of the song and everything and that's like i think my favorite boston song of, of any of them um but um lock and load is basically the way I get it nowadays is you hear people say it, lock and load, you know, it's just, you're getting ready to do something big. You know, it's originally, it was a military term, you know, sure, lock, yeah. triple, load, load your ammunition, but um, uh, which in the video, it has a bit of that and stuff too, but um, it's, you know, um, you're just ready to jump out of a plane or you're ready to go on to a stage of a sold out audience or whatever. Um, you're just getting ready to do something big. So that's my kind of terminology of, of lock and load. And it kind of just rolls off the tongue good nice. So, you know. Yeah, and you reference the the intro piece. And uh again, you know, just when again being a music nerd, you talk about, you know, little bits of music and then you know, you just start to think about songs that have great sort of buildups, you know, like the guess who's American woman. There's the version where people hear it on the radio where it starts with the guitar, but then there's that slow part, you know, where he spells out American and uh, probably the best known one is uh, Van Halen's eruption right before you really got me. And that's of course the beginning of their first record. And you're like, what am I listening to? You know? So there's so much that can be gained just somebody listening from like, okay, what is this? You know, when, and when there's a moment where it's like, okay, now it really kicks in. And then of course, you know, radio stations that play commercials are like, well, let's get rid of that first 90 seconds. <laughs> you know, right. so we can squeeze in three more commercials, right. but uh, yeah. Um, what do you think, Michael, about uh, lock and load uh, sort of as a composition as a whole? Well, I love the riff that the energy behind the riff that Greg came up with. I think there's a lot of, um, I, I hate to use the word testosterone fueled, but it's that kind of thing. And then Keith took it and changed a couple things in the middle of it where he dropped the energy intentionally down where it gets a little weird at parts. And so that counteracts this big driving thing 
and then there's a little like a lift before the chorus where Keith dropped it down into this kind of a darker, quieter. It's very dark in that spot. And that's how that's what I like about it is there's some light and dark and then it just goes crazy. You know, at the end, the guitars just get out of control and they kind of take over <laughs> the whole thing. So it's kind of a fun. Um, I think the word would be uninhibited joyous uh, uh, view of um, kind of hard rock, you know, just like, let's go for it. Take no prisoners. Let's, yeah. let's, let's jam and have a good time. Well, Keith, so, was there a moment where you're like, all right, in your mind, you're like, all right, watch this. I'm going to make it weird. Oh no. And, and for <laughs> me, I, when Michael says weird, it, you know, it doesn't get atonal or, or there's, there's no real big monkey wrench being thrown in. Yeah, no, he's, um, he, yeah, he's, he's not talking like, you know, I saw, I saw an yeah. opportunity to, yeah, take, uh, to create to, a dynamic, you know, I, uh, I mentioned Tchaikovsky and, and the right. Russians and the romantic period. And I, I think I go for dynamics a lot. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I presented to them a, a different version of the pre-chorus. So we do like a, a broken down pre-chorus now right. with some phasers and stuff. And there's just some kick drum in the background and you go into, into the guy's head, you know, he goes inside and, you know, there's like, uh, reckonings with his past you know in his mind you know and he's and he's talk whispering singing kind of thing and then it kicks back into the deep purple thing in the chorus and just like plows and uh it's it's an interesting combination but i you know i think mm -hmm. it sounds still sounds pretty commercial and catchy to me so yeah no and obviously i mean i think at the at the end of the day you know you definitely want it to be catchy i think it's uh you know the the best songs we're, we're talking about songs getting stuck in your head earlier and i think that's uh, important uh greg i wanted to take a moment and uh ask because i saw in the notes for the album uh that uh you have a, a guest violinist who uh we we're you're speaking about zeppelin a little bit earlier I guess uh, that was also part of the Page and Plant No Quarter tour. So uh, that song, South Side of Heaven, has the violinist and uh, wanted to give you a moment to talk about that. Yeah, Adele Escalander. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Right. Uh, well, the reason why I asked you is because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm it's, glad it's, it's not just me. Yeah. It's uh, Adele Escalander. So you got to put the accent okay. on the first syllable. He's, he's a buddy of mine. But I, I, feel like we needed, I feel like we needed an umlaut somewhere. That would <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no worries. Um, but um, it was another friend of of, of Rick's, and um, well, we could use a really cool in this uh, part of the song, like a more of a Middle Eastern uh, violin thing going on, um, just to give it some, make it authentic, you know. And yeah. uh, so um, we got to uh, have him on that on that song. And uh, he had played like with uh, what the first violin on um, when uh, Page Plant, you know, did their tour and they here in L.A. They, they played the forum, which is I saw him. I didn't know he was going to be recording in my studio at that time. But but uh, <laughs> right. but I go, wow, that's really cool how they're doing that. You know, they had their little mini orchestra and stuff going in the background. And uh, what a concert It was a great concert. Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely, I would imagine, um, you know, there, I, I was uh, reviewing the band's discography and I think it was 
maybe your original uh, EP. So I'm going to go a little bit further back, but I saw it was produced by Ron Nevison. And for people that don't know, Ron Nevison produced, you know, some of the, the best uh, UFO records uh, from the seventies, but then he also was sort of the guy that people went to in the eighties was like, I want to get our songs played on the radio. So like, you know, heart had that, had the uh, bad animals album, uh, you know, Ozzy, the ultimate sin, and uh, I'm a, I've always been a huge Kiss fan, and I feel like the uh, Kiss album that he produced, Crazy Nights, gets a bad rep. I will admit there's probably a little bit too many keyboards, but there's some amazing songs on there. And that was like Paul Stanley at his peak when he could, you know, when he could hit those like you know, glass shattering notes. Right. There's probably right when it started to go down was after that. But uh, so I just wanted to know about uh, getting the chance to work with Ron Nevison, even if it was only for, you know, I guess a few songs. Well, but, you know, the, the cool thing about working with Ron, I'd won a, uh, a contest. And so um, I was in uh, Morocco at the time, but my wife picked up the phone and, um, oh, yeah, I'll give him the message, you know, have him call me or whatever. And uh, he he uh, he produced the EP. And I think one of the best things about work with Ron is all the crazy stories he had. Oh, I bet. <laughs> he had some crazy stories. So he told me like, just, I'll just do one real quick. Um, so he was gonna, he was, uh, they were gonna, they're recording Ultimate Sin for Ozzy. Yeah. And so he, I guess he asked Sharon, um, where does Ozzy absolutely hate to go? And um, Ozzy said, Paris. And he goes, great, that's where we're gonna record it. So, so, you know, to keep his mind on the music, keep him focused, yeah, keep him focused, right. So, um, so after one of the uh, sessions, they went down to the local pub or whatever and having a drink at the bar. And this girl that was next to him, she was pretty slosh. So she, uh, she fell off her bar stool and onto the ground. And, uh, so, uh, Ozzy tells Ron, he says, Oh, I'm gonna go help her up. And Ron goes, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and help her up. So he goes over there and grabs her hands, tries to pull her up. and can't quite get her up. And Ron, I can't get her up. I can't get her up. And, uh, and, uh, Ron goes, Ozzy, you can't get her up because you're standing on her hair. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, somehow when you started to say, Oh, I have one crazy story. I'm like, well, this is going to be from Ozzy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So wait, so, so I, you know, and that wasn't in the notes that, uh, you, so you want a contest to have Ron Nevison produce the EP. That's fascinating. I mean, first of all, what a great prize for a musician. Yeah. If I won that, I'm not musically inclined. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to get him to tell me stories about Ozzy, you know, because, But right, uh, right. how does that even happen that there's a contest for Ron Nevison to produce for you? Well, uh, my my wife put in for the contest and I go, well, I've never won anything in my life. Yeah, I'm of course. This thing, you know, I was like, yeah. you know, what a waste of time, you know. And uh, they called and said that I had won. What is it? Uh, Best Rock Song of the Year, whatever, for Malibu Music Awards. And so I went down there and. Uh, uh, they say, are you going to show up? And I didn't know I won. I go, yeah, I'll, you know, it's right down the road. I'll, I'll show up. So I go down there and, uh, and they call my name and I went up there and took the little statue or whatever. And, uh, then got a, a call from Ron like a day or two later and, uh, um, or my wife did. And, uh, it was pretty cool. What, uh, so what, what does that do in terms of, uh, obviously creating the songs? Do you feel like you at least got, got it in front of people? Or you got people to listen who wouldn't have, if they weren't, if it wasn't produced. Oh, by Ron definitely. 
Yeah. Definitely. That was uh, the song Darkness Shines. That's the first one that I ever heard my stuff on the radio with. And um, it was it was pretty cool. And 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 a lot of people, you know, verified that that like, oh, was it Ron Nevison? I go, yeah. And, you know, obviously he's done everyone produced just about everyone. And so it couldn't be too bad, at least um, in the audio quality. He's he's a great mixer, great producer, and has a super great ear, and uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, an album that came out. I think I was in I was in like middle school when it came out. He produced the the Damn Yankees record, which right. when you think about, you're taking the elements of like, yeah, you got a little Night Ranger, a little Sticks, and oh yeah, how about Ted Ted Nugent? Nugent. <laughs> yeah, and when you can put that together. And I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't know if high enough was a number one single, but boy, it was sure in the top 10. And when you can take those elements in 1990 and be like, yeah, well, you know, we, we've got Ted right. Nugent on MTV with a, a guitar solo. And, you know, I, I, I have no interest in talking about Ted outside of music, but uh, you know, when you see him just kicking a door and play a guitar, it's like, well, you're going to watch. And uh, yeah. So yeah, when you just you you go through Ron Nevison, that must have been uh, just a, an amazing opportunity, and uh, and so that was that was probably somewhere around like ten years ago. If that was was the yeah, EP right. was your first release, right? Yeah. And uh, so the the latest album uh, is uh, I had it before, I said it, I knew it, but see, they didn't send it to me, so that's why I couldn't remember the name. But it's called this the Side of Heaven. Heaven. Yeah, yeah, this Side of Heaven. Uh, so, uh, what number album is that? We can count the EP. I, I, I don't know why bands don't count EPs. This is the third one. This is the third one. Okay, yeah. great. So, uh, and so it's out there everywhere. Are there, uh, currently plans? Are there hopes to do some live shows to help get the word out? Uh, what's, what's the plan going forward with the album? Yeah, basically we're just going to. Uh, see what happens, see what kind of interest we get. And uh, I mean, the Canyon Club better be interested after this. We've already given them a shout out. I'm giving right, them yes. another one right now. They have yeah. like four Canyon Clubs. So that's a tour right there. Yeah, right. And yeah, so uh, <laughs> We're gonna uh, do the a couple of people are, I've already given CDs to over there, those guys. Okay, great. So um, yeah, it, um, that's definitely right down the road for me. So it's, it's, a, it's a great venue. I love that place. Um, but yeah, we'll see what kind of interest we get and hopefully we get enough to, uh, make, make it work. We're all in kind of different places. I mean, Keith's usually all over the place and uh, the guitar player, he's over in Phoenix. And, um, so just to try to bring everyone together for some rehearsals and stuff is, uh, probably going to be a bit of a chore, but, uh, who knows Hopefully, we get enough interest. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, let me ask uh, specifically as it comes to uh, live performance, uh, Michael, is there something from this new batch of songs, this new album that you're like, this is what I'd really like to uh, see how a crowd reacts to? If there's one thing, it doesn't even have to be one song. It could just be a part of a song. Is there something that you're thinking like this would be really fun to uh, play live? Absolutely. It would be the middle section, the instrumental section of No Way Back, where it goes into the cello solo. There's a little piano, yeah. piano solo cello solo and then keith pops in to start off the middle the second uh verse it's a really unique little spot in there and um it, it's very uh, it, exactly what keith was talking about earlier it's actually sounds like it's from the um romantic period of the class of classical music and oh, so that's something that i really look forward to doing 
trying out live. And um, there you go. That's and Keith, have you done any live shows or have you just done studio stuff with the guys so far? Um, they, they had a couple of, uh, around town, uh, shows in the Valley around LA, uh, where we, we hadn't written anything together yet, or okay. maybe we had stuff in progress. And, um, you know, so I sang through, we did some covers, but we, we also sang through a couple of the old tunes from the other, the other records too. Right. And, um, you know, it was just brief, uh, I don't remember how many, that's a few years ago. And, uh, okay. I think... I think one of them might have been a Canyon Club. So there's yes. another plug. Yeah. Another we'll plug just keep, we'll just keep saying it. You know, I mean, there's uh, there's no no reason not to to try and get it out there. And look, you know, I mean, if uh, you're working out a you're working out a set list after this conversation, maybe you uh, decide that uh, hey, let's work up a cover from uh, South Pacific. Why not? <laughs> maybe more maybe more likely maybe more likely uh, you know something from Jesus Christ Superstar. But uh, is there something from the new album? Keith that really jumps out like oh singing this live would uh, definitely be the the way to go well I, I kind of almost forgot about that moment Michael was talking about because it's so unexpected but it, it is so cool uh in the middle of a song called no way back it's almost got a big foreignery feels like the first time kind of chorus and then it just slides off of that it just goes poof and out into and it becomes like he said this single cello and piano piece and then I I think they just intended that to be an instrumental at first, but then uh, for me, I heard it like I heard, you know, a Freddie Mercury guy yeah. somewhere in the middle kind of jumping in on it. And so I did that. And that song gives me goosebumps. So that one I like too. Um, we have a song on the record called God Bless Miss America, which um, there were three songs on the record that we sort of gave to each other, you know, like, Greg kind of kept the final word on lock and load on everything. And cause that was his kind of baby. And Michael kept the, uh, you know, he, he, he uh, manned the reins on a song called Vulture City. And then I kind of had that same experience on the song called uh, God Bless Miss America. So yeah, naturally, I mean, that being something I put a lot of extra work in because i was kind of driving the ship I'd, I'd love to see how that comes together because it's you know it's got a lot of play to it and i hate to beat a dead horse but um you know hitting that romantic period of music where the chorus has got that you know major minor thing kind of like somewhere between elo and sticks and all those bands like in the mid 70s like discovering how that could work in a really big way with a lot of harmonies but still heavy guitars and stuff um you know, with that sort of 70s string section going in there, we'll, we'll have to figure out how we're going to play that. You know, there's a couple of moments on the record that's, you know, it's almost like you heard Kansas on the radio and you're like, how the hell are these guys going to do this live on stage as a rock band? And then you see them show up with, oh, you know, that guy's a violin player and they got a couple other string players on the side and they actually pulled it off really well. So, I mean, I'm hoping, you know, we, we can get that organized and actually pull some of this stuff off the way it should be pulled off. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that's always a, a testament when you're listening to an album and you're like, I, I got to see how they can pull this off live, you know, I mean, you know, you mentioned ELO, if there was ever a band, you're like, I don't think they could possibly sound like the record. But uh, in any case, uh, the uh, band's website is Desert Dragon Official, the new album, This Side of Heaven, available everywhere. And, um, you know, to keep with the theme, sorry, I'm gonna have to clear my throat and there's no way to do it without 
<laughs> excuse me. Uh, and you know, to keep That's with the disgusting. theme, the Christmas. I know the the website for the uh, Canyon Club is where the music meets the soul. So really, just send them each mention, and then the, you should get at least one show out of it. Uh-huh. You know, I love it. <laughs> in any case, I had to look it up because I knew they had a weird website. Greg, right. Keith, Michael, thank you guys so much. Sure, uh, thanks our, for our audio audience is uh, going to get to hear Swamp Thing on the way out, and if you're our video audience. Go find the video for Swamp Thing and uh, also for Lock and Load. Lock and Load, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks so much, uh, guys. Yeah, thank uh, you. It was great uh, chatting you. And uh, I, whether it's the Canyon Club or anywhere else, uh, I hope to uh, catch you guys out at a show sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. It was great. Sounds time. good, man. Thanks, Christian. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Okay. <laughs> Swamp Thing! Walking through the city like a Frankenstein Swamping Come from Mississippi, gonna blow your mind People run for their lives as the fog rolls in Everybody who sees is shaking in this Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. Like The Bladcast on Facebook, follow at Bladcast on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the man responsible for what you just heard is on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D- M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on the Bladcast. Hope I'm saying this right. The Bladcast. Firestar, over here. Coming, Cyclops. This is our other new member, Wolverine. Are you doll? Want a piece of fruit? Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Well, they certainly seem to be having a good time out there, Sprocket. Yeah, I like it when they have a good time.